Come on, let's clap our hands and love him. He's worthy. Welcome everybody in the house of the Lord. Welcome all of you joining us online. We've come to praise him. We've come to bless him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We worship you and adore you. We love you and praise you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. And let the church say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing, let's go to the word of the Lord. Psalm 132. And I'll be reading the first five verses of that psalm in your reading, or in, our, in your hearing, rather, for our text today. And uh, then we'll jump right into the word. Amen. So glad to have my daughter and Colin here with us. Amen. Been here for the week with spring break, leaving back today. So keep them in your prayers for traveling. Amen. Psalm 132, verse 1, and of course it is a song of degrees, or some Bibles may say a song of ascents, the same thing. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the, the tabernacle of my house, nor go up to my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find a, out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And today I want to preach this title, God's Favorite House. Amen. Father, let the living word preach the written word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer today. Open our understanding that we might comprehend Scripture, cause every hindrance to be rebuked, to cast out, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And God, we pray all of this in your marvelous, majestic, and magnificent name, Jesus. And can we praise that name together for just another moment or two? Lord, you're worthy. Hallelujah. Glory. Praise God. Praise God. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Again, thank you for being here today in person. Thank you for joining us online. We bless you and greet you. Psalm 132 is a song of ascent. And the pilgrims would sing this as they traveled to Jerusalem to worship, as they would all the songs of ascent. It's unknown if David wrote it. Some think he wrote it like in the third person. Others think someone close to him wrote it about him. I have no you know, dog in the fight either way. But this much we do know about this psalm. It finds its place in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 1 when David conquered Jerusalem. Parts of it are found in 2 Samuel 6, 7 when David brought the ark back to Jerusalem. And it's also found in 2 Chronicles 6, 41 and 42 when Solomon dedicated the temple. So we know that the psalm was written at least around or about those events. The pilgrims who read and sang Psalm 142 longed for God's temple to be restored. They longed to see it again. For the most part, those who sang this psalm longed for Messiah to come and reestablish the law. You see, they were enslaved by foreign enemies, but worse, they were enslaved by an enemy within called the religious leaders or the Sanhedrin. These men abused their power in the gospel and lorded it over God's heritage. They taught the law, but they taught that Messiah would come 
and overthrow their enemies. They mistakenly mixed the messianic prophecies with the apocalyptic ones. In fact, to the point of leaving out some prophecies and glossing over or banning them to be read and missing therefore the point of Jesus' first coming. They perverted it to fit their own agenda and to manipulate Israel into obeying their man-made agendas and covenants. They wanted their doctrines, their man-made doctrines and their man-made commandments to be followed. And so by and large, Israel wanted a Messiah to come to conquer their enemies, including the Sanhedrin, and to enforce the law, restoring the dynasty of David. But these false teachers and all of Israel who believed them neglected to understand, read, and believe what the prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Joel, Zechariah, and so many more prophesied about the new covenant. In fact, David and Asaph are called prophets according to the Bible. And David explicitly prophesied the first coming of the Messiah in chapter 22 of the Psalms, where he listed 19 explicit prophecies of Calvary. This was 1,000 years before crucifixion. And it was 500 years before the Romans would invade and use it as a form of capital punishment. And yet David writes it as if he has a first-hand account of what is going on. We definitely know he's a prophet. We know from some of his other psalms of the second coming that he prophesies explicitly of the second coming of Messiah. And the basic difference is this. When you read a prophecy in the Old Testament that mentions redemption, salvation, mercy, redeemer, grace, any of those types of words or, or phrases, it's the first coming. But when you read about uh, destruction and you read about fire and trial and judgment, that's the second coming. But what would happen is they would merge the two together to create a single coming. And it's why to this day, many Jews are still looking for the first coming of Messiah, neglecting to believe that Jesus Christ was in fact God manifest in flesh. They've been blinded by their traditions. Psalm 132 speaks of the Ark of the Covenant, which is Christ. The Ark of the Covenant points perfectly to Jesus Christ. Psalm 132 speaks of the temple, which is the church. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 132 speaks of priests being clothed with righteousness, and the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. Psalm 132 speaks of saints shouting for joy, a reference to the church. Amen. Psalm 132 also speaks of the second coming in verses 17 and 18. And yet, to some like Simeon and Anna, and to others who would follow Jesus and were the first to be born again and share His gospel globally, they would read Psalm 132 with the hope of a new covenant. You see, these like Simeon and Anna, these like the, the apostles that followed him that believed. These like Nathaniel who would say, you are the king of Israel. Or Peter, thou art 
the Christ, the Son of the living God. These were looking for a permanent shift, not just a seasonal return to the law. These were a part of the 120 original in the upper room who would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They understood that God was coming to bring in a new covenant. And yet David, who desired to build God a house, and this psalm verifies it, he couldn't because God said, you're a bloody man, a bloody man of war. But he did, in fact, build God a tabernacle. Because Acts 30, 13, 22 reveals that he was a man after God's own heart. Acts 15, 16 reveals that when God comes back, he will rebuild David's Tabernacle or the tabernacle of David. So when I read Acts 15, 16, I have to stop for a minute because I've read throughout the Bible many times. I'm not saying that to boast or brag. I've studied the Bible front to back. I've preached literally at least one sermon out of every book of the Bible. Again, not to brag, but to give you a little bit of understanding. So when I hear that there's a tabernacle of David, I want to know where it was. Because I'm well aware of the tabernacle of Moses. And I'm well aware of Solomon's temple. And I'm well aware of the rebuilt temple with Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm well aware of Herod's temple. But I don't know where David's tabernacle is. Except in an obscure passage in which David brings the ark back and sets it up for all to see. And it's assumed that it has to be under some sort of a covering, therefore like an open-air tent. That's the only thing we can find that might even remotely become the tabernacle of David. Well, whatever it was, and wherever it was, I believe David's tabernacle was God's favorite house. Mm. You see... It was nothing more than just an open-air tent surrounded by a veil of worshipers. <laughs> but I believe God loved that a lot better than the overlaid pillars of gold and all the color. I, I believe He loved that a lot better than all of the structure. Mm-hmm. You see, there were no ornate pillars in this tent, this tabernacle. There was nothing overlaid with precious metal or gold. The tabernacle of David was less structure and more event. You see, it was more about God. Uh, uh, uh. By the time you get to Herod's temple, this is a massive piece of property on 43 acres that stands out in all of the surrounding area of Jerusalem. You can see it. For, for, for far away and it's beautiful and it's ornate and it became a place where they worshipped it more than the God they were supposed to be representing to the point there was no Ark of the Covenant behind the veil when it rent in twain oh Lord Jesus you see though people today even in today's Christendom evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, whatever. They're seeking more structure and less event. 
Now, don't, don't misunderstand me and take my statements out of context. I believe in practicing. And I thank God for a praise team that will practice. And they're going to sing in the second half. I study. I put the effort in, the time in. And, and I thank God for it, and you should too. And any other preacher that does should as well. The Bible does tell us to study to show ourselves to be approved. But let me just say clearly and unequivocally, the Spirit of God moves in the first song, and we don't get past the first song. That's okay. Because Christ is the head of the church. And our little plan of, of order can be thrown out because we want God to move. And if He wants to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost right now while I'm preaching, let it be. I don't mind if we have an Acts 10, 44 event where somebody stands up and starts speaking in tongues while I'm preaching. I love it. I'm all about structure. I'm, I'm, I understand that. But I want the event. I want the Spirit of God. I want the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. I don't want enticing words of man's wisdom. But you see, whatever this tabernacle of David was, it started long before he was king. Long before the ark was ever brought back to Jerusalem, it started in the heart of a shepherd boy when no one was looking and no one was watching. When he was back there with nothing but sheep in his harp. The Lord is my shepherd. Playing his harp. I don't know what key, I don't know how to make a harp sound, but whatever it was, you know. He's just strumming it and fingering it and playing it. And, you know, I shall not want. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures. It started back there. Oh, hallelujah. Long before oil was poured over his head and anointing him to be king, David had a passion for the presence of God. Oh, yes, he did want to build an ornate house for God. But I believe in part, besides him being a bloody man, I believe in part God wanted to keep him from building it because his favorite house was the heart of David's true worship unto him. Hallelujah. And this is, by the way, what Acts says God will rebuild. Not an ornate temple. Not an ornate building. But rather this spirit of true worship. It's why Jesus said to the woman, she says, so when Messiah comes, you know, he'll, he'll explain all things. And, and, and we, Jew, we Samaritans worship on this mountain and you Jews on that mountain. And I love Jesus' answer. The Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth it's it's not about which mountain you're on uh-huh it's it's oh come on now it's about worshiping him daily everywhere so by the time david becomes king the ark has not been in israel for over 40 years it was lost during the time of saul he never attempted to retrieve it or bring it back but within the first three or four years of David's 40-year reign, he longs to bring it back to its rightful place and place it under this open-air tent where it could be seen, loved, and worshipped by all. Can I just interject and tell you that if you're here today and even watching online, if you want to feel the presence of God, it's real, real easy. Uh -huh. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. 
Knock and it shall be opened unto you. It's that simple. Just start worshiping him. And I promise you, you'll begin to feel something. David learns something. There's two attempts that he makes to bring the ark back. And he learns something in these attempts. And I believe it's paramount that we learn the same lesson as we navigate the shift that God has given us at TCOO. If we'll learn from David's mistakes, we'll see the threefold reign of revival that God has prophesied on this church and experience the miraculous that God wants for us. The first attempt is found in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. And we read here, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Wow. Talk about a choir of worshipers. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. You talk about a massive choir. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. They had hit a bump. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So let's stop right there if you've got your Bibles out and you're following along because in, this is the first attempt and something has majorly gone wrong. Let's just recap for a minute here. David's excited. He has a heart for God. He's passionate for the presence of God, right? He gets 30,000 choice men of Israel, the best and brightest vocalists, the best and brightest worshipers. And I have no doubt he spent the most amount of money on the finest wood to build the best cart and the two best looking oxen in all of Israel to pull it. He did a lot of good, hard work to make sure that it was going to be right. And as the ark started and Ohio was out front and Uzzah was in behind, I don't know where the 30,000 were, if they were behind him, but they're worshiping and praising God on all these manners of instruments. And all of a sudden it comes to the threshing floor. Somebody say harvest. Mm -hmm. It comes to a shift. Somebody say shift. Uh huh. And all of a sudden there's a God bump. And the ark starts to, to move on the uh, cart. And Uzzah reaches up to, to stabilize it. And God strikes him dead. And David doesn't understand what's going on. He's displeased. God, why did you do this? And Obed-Edom lives nearby. And so he says, let's just put it in there. we got to go figure this out. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me just say this. 
I'm going to summarize some of this up right here. We cannot carry the presence of God on carts of our human ingenuity and making and think that God will be pleased. God's ark, His presence, was meant to be carried on the shoulders of priests, not pulled on cart by oxen. Hey, hey, hey. In other words, you will never reap a God-ordained harvest using man-made methods. God is saying to the church of Omaha, you cannot handle me casually. You can either have your cart or my ark, but not both. We've got to do it God's way. Oh, hallelujah. You see, this shift, this threefold reign of revival is going to cost you something. It's like what Pastor uh, Kirk Patrick preached a few weeks ago. He said we must stop trying to buy the pearl of great price at half price. Hallelujah. Those who want an ox to pull a cart that's man-made are the ones who uh, don't want to sweat it out. Let somebody else worship. Let somebody else pray. Let somebody else do all the giving. Let somebody else do all the serving. Amen. But God's saying, no, I want you to do it my way. Well, come on now. Lord, help us. You see, Uzzah tried to stabilize something that God had shaken. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And when God starts shaking something, you better not try to stop it. Oh, we can have an Uzzah friendly environment if we want, but we won't have God in the midst of it. So it's either or. It's not, it's not both and. And if we're going to have a God-friendly environment, then the others who are trying to stop what God's doing can't. Are you with me? The Bible says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. How many of you love Joel's prophecy? Being poured out upon all sons, daughters, right? Handmade servants, all this, going to prophesy. It's going to be a massive revival, right? Peter quotes it on the day of Pentecost. Wonderful, ain't it? But you know what happens before this great outpouring? We, we love the outpouring, but there's something that comes before it. Joel 2.12 Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart. Somebody say all. all. And with fasting. And with weeping. And with mourning. And rend your heart not your garments and turn to the Lord your God. You see, the rending of the garment was an outward way of saying, you know, a person was brave. You saw somebody do that. Oh, that person's being humble before the Lord. Well, it, you almost lose the, what you're doing because now, you know, people are watching you. And they would take ashes and put it upon themselves and, and look like they've, you know, been in a brawl with, with, with a sand, you know, demon or something. And, and just, right? He say, no, rend your hearts. Not your garments. Who cares if others see it? I want to know your heart. God doesn't want man-made religion. He wants a relationship. And so during the next three months, I believe David goes back to Jerusalem. 
And I believe that His one thing governed Him in learning what that lesson was. Why Uzzah died and what the proper way was to bring back the ark. And what was David's one thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I believe that this one thing, this passion of David's for the presence of God pushed him to a place of prayer, pushed him to a place of study. Every king on their throne would have on one side, usually their right-hand side, a copy of the Torah. On the left-hand side was their own journal, if you will, of the law of God. I believe he searched the Torah. I believe he went through the Scriptures. I believe he called some prophets together and said, hey, what did I do wrong? I, I know God knows my heart, but something was wrong, and I want to bring the back. I want to bring the presence of God back. What do I got to do to get God's presence? Can I just tell somebody today, if it's been a while since you've spoken other tongues, if it's been a while since you felt the presence of God, you got to get to a place where you're hungry to say, God, what do I got to do? Mm, we need some people like Jacob to get a hold of God and say, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. I'm not leaving this place until I know I've come in contact with God. Hallelujah. I don't, none of us are promised tomorrow. Man, if I weren't feeling the presence of God like I want to, I would make sure I wouldn't wait for an altar call. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David was of the tribe of Judah. Only the tribe of Levi could go in to the temple as he described with his one thing. So the thing he desired, he could never do, except in an open-air tent. Oh. Let, me, let me give an idea. Let's just imagine this is the ark, this pulpit. Can everybody see the pulpit? Right? Everybody see it? Okay. Now, Trevor and Jeff, come here, just real quick. Stand in West U2, I need, I need three. Just kind of stand here on the, on the second step, kind of in a, in a half circle. There you go. All right. All right, now, just... just like you're worshiping. Now imagine a circle of worshipers. Can you, can, can you still see the pulpit? I mean, you know, some of you, it might be somewhat blocked, but you can still see around, you know, in between. In, in other words, David knew that as a, he's not of the tribe of Levi, he could never go into a temple. He could never practice as though they had but David knew every day he could join that choir of worshipers praising God. Amen. The presence of God is here. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so he, he couldn't build a tabernacle. I believe that's part of why God said you can't build a tabernacle. I know it was because he was a, a bloody man, but I think there was an, a, just another little piece because David wouldn't have been able to see the ark. He wouldn't have been able to behold it like this. And the ark represented the manifest presence of God. Mm. Thank you, brothers. And so, so David wanted, he had a heart towards God. He wanted to see Him, wanted to be there. And this way he could. He wanted a relationship with God. And whatever it took 
to get the ark back, he was willing to do it. I'm not so sure he spent some time fasting and praying during those three months. And we know in just a minute you're going to see he got word that the house of Obed-Edom is blessed. Let me tell you, wherever the ark is. <laughs> you know what's beautiful? You see, David, it was one singular box that all of Israel... But guess what? Today, <laughs> since, since um, you have the Holy Ghost, you're the temple. That means the ark goes with you. Pastor Danny, we're, we're coming up today and can't wait. That's going to be fun. Love what God's doing. But guess what? It, it, don't, it don't stay here. That pulpit does, but the presence of God doesn't. It's already in North. Oh, come on now. It's going to go back with you, Brother Sister Cooper, to, to Brazil because, in fact, it's already there. You see what I'm saying? We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. David had a stationary object. Amen. But God fills us. Oh, hallelujah. Glory! Oh, I wish I had four hours to preach this. All right, let's look at his second attempt. I got to hurry. I got 11 minutes. Lord Jesus. Second attempt. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. It was told David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him. Where the ark is, there's blessing because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David Gladys. Notice there's no 30,000 worshipers. Notice there's no ark, or I mean a, a cart. And it was so when they, had they that bear the ark, that's the priests. You see, there was slots where poles were to slide through. And you had two in the front, and you had two in the back that were to carry it on their shoulders. Oh, it took some work. It took some, oh, come on. It took some effort. If you don't feel it on the first song, keep worshiping. You might feel it on the second song. Ah, ah, hallelujah. You don't feel it in the first five minutes of prayer, keep praying. It might be the seventh minute of prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember one time I was told by my bishop, he said, you want to feel the presence of God? I said, yeah. He says, shout hallelujah. This is what I did. Hallelujah. He says, no, shout hallelujah. I went, hallelujah. He says, no, I mean shout hallelujah. And it was in part that I was mad at him for telling me to keep shouting. And in part that I'm like, fine, hallelujah. But when I did, all of a sudden I'm like, mm, I felt something. And I was like, oh, that felt good. Hallelujah. And it weren't before too long. Hallelujah. And the presence of God. I'm telling you, if you want to feel His presence, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Woo. They bear the ark. Verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Well, we're about to go into second half. Uh-huh. Yeah. So David and all the house of Israel, notice this time it ain't just 30,000. Notice this time it's all the house of Israel. Everybody's coming. Mom, dad, boys and girls, not just 30,000 choice men, not just the male vocalists of the year, but the whole church is, oh, come on somebody. I wish I had time to preach this. I might have to preach second half, Trevor. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm already preaching in Norfolk. Yeah, wear me out. I'd get up there and be like, 
anyway, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 16, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in his heart. I got a question. Which side of that window are you on? Are you with Michal despising worshipers? Are you down there with David worshiping? I'll let you answer that. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. There it is. That's all we know. And again, the best we can tell from every scholar I've ever seen is it was an open air tent. That was David's tabernacle. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. You see, David wanted to do it God's way. And every six paces while they were sacrificing oxen what pulled it before oh listen if you want a true breakthrough what you tried before has to be sacrificed what you did before that didn't work has to die Oh, hallelujah. And every six paces, while that is dying and bleeding and being sacrificed and burnt, David is dancing with all his might before the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't it interesting? Man was created on sixth day, so a lot of people say the number of man is six. Isn't it interesting, every six paces, the number of man, he's saying, God, I'm going to worship you. Man is going to praise you. Hallelujah. God cares how his presence is carried. And he still cares about it today. And so I believe God's favorite house was David's favorite house. David's favorite house was the house of God. So therefore, I submit to you that God's favorite house is where two or three are gathered together in my name. Watch this. All right. Wes, Jeff, Trevor, come here again. But this time, just stay down here. Watch this. I I get to be Jesus in my little skit. So we got one, two, three. So two or three. Get together and start praying. Get together and start worshiping. Bible says where two or three are. There am I in the midst. Hey, they're worshiping me. This is my favorite house. This is where I want to be. Oh, you want Jesus to come to your situation? Praise him. You want Jesus to get into your situation? Worship him. Glory. Watch this. Watch this. Thank you, gentlemen. Watch this. Psalm 132, verse 13. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, which by the way, Zion is a prophetic utterance about the church to come. So you can say, for the Lord hath chosen the church. He hath desired it for his habitation. Ah, hallelujah. Those who worship him, watch this. Put up, you had verse 13, put 14. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell. Somebody say forever. That means your good days and bad days. That means goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. Oh, 
<laughs> if bad news is on your horizon, goodness and mercy are going to be there with you anyway. Watch this, watch this. Uh, okay, verse uh, 15. Um, I will abundantly bless her provision, her as the church. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will close, clothe her priests with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud. Look at all the things God will do for the church. God's favorite house is the life of a true worshiper. Now, we find something interesting about this man, Obed-Edom. I don't have the verse, but in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles 15, 24, it tells us that Obed-Edom became a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. For, specifically for, the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, Obed-Edom said, while it was in my house, I was blessed, I'm following it. You know what that means? That means if God turns left, you turn left. That means you flow with the Spirit. Oh, come on now. Uh, that means that's why we worship daily. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Hebrews chapter 3, drop all the way to verse 6. I don't have time to read it all, but 1 through 6 is talking about the heavenly calling we have and our high priest and, and, and the fact that Moses built a house for God and it was, it was appointed him to do so and he was faithful and Christ also is faithful over his house. And verse 6 says, whose house are we? Somebody point to yourself and say, I'm the house of God. Now watch this, watch this. Now, now say, I'm God's favorite house. How many of you grew up with multiple siblings, right? How many of you, you know, thought you were the favorite? Shannon, Jackie's not in here, so you can win, but, but her sister probably thought she might be there, but right? Okay. So we, we had this thing with our kids where, you know, I didn't want Braxton or Brooklyn to think they were favorite, so Braxton was my favorite son, Brooklyn my favorite daughter. I only had two, one son, one daughter. That was easy. And that's why I didn't want three, because then, you know, I'd mess it up, you know. I've heard people say, though, you're my favorite middle child, whatever. But we, we understand that. But, but all of us, collectively and individually, are the house of God. So if you're a true worshiper, a born-again believer, you are God's favorite house. You're where he wants to dwell. So here's my question, or statement rather. The next time things get rough in life, just remember, I'm God's favorite house. Let his word encourage you and strengthen you to endure and be faithful because you are God's favorite house. And since we know that today, I wonder what it would do to our worship when we come back at 1120. I wonder how it would impact how we praise God when we come back in here after the break. It's not that we have to prove that we're worthy. God loves us, period. But I'd, I wouldn't just mind being his favorite, favorite house. I teased with Pastor Kennedy a couple of weeks ago. I said, I'm going to worship you today. And he said, oh, no, you ain't. And uh, you should see the rug up here. He's been, you know, tearing it up. So. <laughs> so I wonder today, is there anybody else 
that'll just say, you know what, I'm going to give him everything today. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. One more time, point your finger at yourself and say, I'm God's favorite house. Hallelujah. Let's just worship him for a moment as we close up first half today. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We adore you. Glory. Praise God. Praise God. Worship him through the break. We'll see you in 10 minutes. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.